Hey, this is Chris Faust with the Nashville band Faust, and you are listening to Jay on the Hook Rocks Ultimate Rock and Roll Podcast. Be sure and check out our new EP, It's a Vibe, available wherever you stream music. Rock on, people. What's going on? How you doing? Hope you're having a good day, good evening, wherever you are, whenever you're listening. This is Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast, part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, great network of music-related podcasts. You can check out my friends Vinia Apice and Carmen Apice on the Hanging and Banging podcast, Tom and Zeus on Shout Out Loudcast, Baco on Cobras and Fire, Mistress Carrie out in Boston, as well as Martin Popoff, the rock historian. So check out those podcasts as well as many others. There's something for everyone on the Pantheon podcast platform. Don't forget to follow the Hook Rocks on Twitter at the Hook Rocks. Also search us up on Facebook. Follow us wherever you do get your podcast, whether it's Amazon, Spotify, or Apple. We're on every platform and don't forget to set your app to automatic download so you get the latest and greatest Hook Rocks podcast. It makes your commute to work so much more enjoyable. You can tune out your significant other when they're complaining and yelling at you. The Hook Rocks has been proven to improve your life. Check out some of our previous episodes this month. We had Emer Reynolds, the director of the Phil Lynott documentary, all the way from Dublin, Ireland. That documentary is called Songs for While I'm Away. It's a great perspective or introspective uh, piece on Phil Lynott, the man and the lyrics and the musician. Uh, great, great story. You can catch that out on all streaming services. We've done some great new music spotlights over the past month. We've had Crooked Shapes from the UK, The Odd Even, Seven Stones, Crashing Wayward, and we just had Abby Kay and her band who just announced a tour with Nita Strauss in the early part of next year. Check out also, we did a great episode with Christian Eagle on the streaming platforms requesting or proposing the lowest royalty rates in the history of music. You can hear me get all fired up about that as well as Christy. And also check out Anastella all the way out in the UK. We interviewed her about her new show, her pilot episode called Amped, which is a showcase of new bands in the UK. So check out all those episodes and more. 
And we've got an incredible episode lined up for you tonight. Um, as you know, I do a lot of new music spotlights, and I'm always happy to promote new bands. I love doing it. And we've got two alumni from previous new music spotlights. And I'd like to welcome in from Goodbye June, Mr. Tyler Baker, and from Dirty Honey, Mr. John Notto. What's going on, guys? What's happening? What's up, Jay, dude? It's so good to be here again. Well, you've been here three times. Dirty Honey in total, this will be the third time. I had Mark on, and then John, I had you and Justin on earlier this year. So this is uh, this is awesome, man. This is a great uh, great night for a conversation. Thanks for thank you both for doing this. Thanks for uh, you know including me. Hey, man. Yeah, it's Tyler. gonna be it's gonna be a it's gonna be a hurricane of of incredible personalities merging right now. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, is this like the 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 Tinder of podcasts? Is this like the uh, the the dating Whoa. app? <laughs> I don't know. You tell Whoa. me. <laughs> When do we start swiping? (laughs) (laughs) Well, hey, man, you know, we're closing down on 2021. 2021's been a big year for music. Um, In the 2022, of course, Tyler, you've got your new album with Goodbye June coming out in the first quarter. John, you had your album come out early this year. You did the tour with the Black Crows. You're ready to go out in the new year with Mammoth, WVH. Lots of great things are happening for you guys. Lots of great things are happening for rock in general, especially the emerging bands. Um, for the first time in a while, I do think that the emerging bands are starting to take over the attention of the legacy artists because there's so much great music out there. And whenever you have great music, whenever it's really, really good, people find it. And I think people are starting to find it. What's your opinion on this past year and what's What's in store next, Tyler? Well, I think, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, <laughs> wake up, yeah, uh, John. <laughs> oh, I just, I'm so happy you're on, you're on this podcast with me, John. I, say, I'm really get, just, I got invited. This really just, yeah, this is this is really just an excuse for me to try to bust your chops a little bit. Right. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm all ears. <laughs> no, no, Jay. No, Jay, man. It's cool. I mean, I think um, me and John were both in a Loudwire uh, article like a week ago or so. And I think it kind of summed a lot of it up. I, it was well written. And um, it was just <sighs> the only thing I struggle with is when we get grouped into leading a new way, a new wave of classic rock. So to me, classic oh, rock yeah. is like. Is like is, that's like legendary rock that stands the test of time. So I I wish we could get a different moniker just because I think what we do is just rock and roll that uh, with guitars and and drums and dudes in a room rocking out and uh, it's like if we write good enough songs we'll be uh, classic rock yeah, artists one know, day right? you know yeah. you know but I mean hey I'll take it whatever I mean maybe it's a, the tone of the guitars or whatever but. Um, no, I think I think that article is really cool, and I was uh, I was yeah, super you know, happy dude, that if you just switch what? to a if you just switch to a Mesa, you're out. It won't be classic anymore. Right, I guess you know. I mean, <laughs> hey man, you're you're interrupting my monologue. <laughs> All right, I just, one, I just, one zero me. Yeah. <laughs> 
no, uh, no, I don't know. I mean, it was just cool that Dirty Honey and Goodbye June and um, a lot of other really cool, great artists was on that uh, list. And um, it kind of to, to go with what you said, Jay, man, it was like, it feels like people paying more attention. I know like our social media and all that crap is like, it seems like people paying more attention to us. And um, it's, yeah, it's, it's something's building, which I think is exciting. John. I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I, I definitely feel like there's been a lot of attention, uh, you know, from people such as yourself on, on this little scene, I guess it's a scene that we have going. Um, I think Dirty Honey is probably the newest comers of the um, of the lot, and I feel like now we've kind of met everyone and either played shows with them. I mean, Goodbye June obviously took us out first. I like you guys took us out, by the way. I know, like you guys weren't like you were like middle band, but it feels to me it felt like you guys took us out, and that's no yeah. disrespect to the other guys, but they were literally on their dying fumes. I think they broke up after that, so and they were yeah, another. They they're not. They're not in the new wave anyway. So it was like. Who was the band? Yeah. It was a band called Red Sun Rising. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I remember that. You know, there's. Yeah, they they were like kind of just they. I think they literally broke up after that tour, and they had already had like five, four or five years of trying to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Um. So whatever, you know. So we, yeah. but there was a lot of kismet. I think more between Goodbye June and us, and that yeah. kind of got us off on the right foot. And and um and just you know, Tyler and I have been just uh cuddle buddies now since yeah. then. And um <laughs> uh that's not real rock and roll to say. And that's see, that's the thing. Like a classic see? rocker, he wouldn't say that. But I'm not a classic rocker. So I'm not uh, saying that. The, I say that. We're the we're the new wave of classic rock. Yeah, we're the new the wave. The new wave is rock. all about cuddling, apparently. It's all about cuddling, dude. It's all about being friendly. But um, <laughs> I don't really remember what your question was, but um, it it's it's a cool it's cool that there are other bands out doing this. And um, man, I just saw Greta for the first time. And they kind of like obviously spearheaded it, and it was really cool to see the whole thing. You know, there's a thing happening there now. You know, there's yeah. a there's a whole there's a whole scene that that um, <clears throat> the audience I felt was it was like they were getting their dose. You know what I mean? Like uh, their yeah. dose of like that space where they can do that thing, which is like be very hippie, be very sort of forest fairy. Some some people are just there to stare at the guitar player. You know, there's like teens. I mean, I mean it's. There's this whole yeah. thing happening and it was a world. And I was like, this is great. You know? Yeah. Um, regardless of what everyone and anyone has said about them, both positive and negative, it's, it's like, it's happening and they're doing it. And it, and it's, and we, you know, we share a lot of fans. So it's really um, encouraging, you know? Yeah. I saw yeah. them at Lincoln hall, which is about a 300 capacity place right when their first album came out. Uh-huh. And they blew the doors off the place. They were absolutely sure, incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I took my son to see him at the Aragon Ballroom. Um, he loved him. And, Where? You know, at the Aragon Ballroom in Chicago. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they were fantastic. 
I think that's what is really important, though, is, you know, he's 16 years old. And I've mentioned this a lot on my podcast is how it's important for these new bands to connect with the youth. I'm 46, right? I mean, I like, you know, new bands, I like emerging bands, but really the fans that are going to grow with you guys are in that, you know, are in high school, junior high or coming out of high school. And he said something to me really, really important um, during the pandemic. He's like, dad, I think a lot of kids went into the pandemic listening to rap and pop music. And when you're e-learning and you're on lockdown and you're doing the same thing every day, you need something different. And it creates a lot of, a lot of angst and a lot of like, I need, I need to feel something. And they turn to rock music because rock music is always there when that young kid is feeling like, what the fuck? Or, you know, what, what the hell's happening? And I think that music is growing with that age group at this point, because when you're sitting at home for six months doing the same thing, pop music and other genres don't do it anymore for you. You need something different. And I think it was kind of a perfect storm for all these new emerging bands. It sucked being in it, but I think coming out of it, I think you're seeing the, the, the result of that. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think rock does it best with like um, taking you on an emotional joy ride, you know, through songs and, and soundscapes and stuff. I know, I mean, you listen to a Dirty Honey record or you listen to a Greta Van Fleet record or, or one of our records and it's like no, no song. When you listen to a song, it's going to make you feel a certain way. That next song is going to make you feel a little different typically and i think you need that kind of bell curve of emotions you know if we're doing our job we're not just putting out the same formula formula you know pop um pop style song you know i think i think that's a good thing with with about rock right now is that we can um maybe we have more emotions to play with that i think that like pop pop and rap really i don't think they touch on a lot of stuff so that's my opinion <laughs> no they just say it's a call me on my cell phone <laughs> repeat <Yeah. laughs> repeat it seven times in, in, in 12, in 12 people phone. wrote that lyric by the way yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, yeah the royalties are split up no one got more than 14 percent on that song yeah <laughs> dude, dude I, I got a story so i i was like there was a there was a small era where I was doing, um, trying to get out and take advantage of Nashville of being a, a songwriter. And like, I get in these rooms with, um, different, like, uh, I'm not gonna say who, but like pop country artists. Yeah. And I was, I was in a room one time and the, the artist liked my band and he asked me if I would join this kind of stale, right. To, he's like, I need some personality. I, I need some, I need a little edge to my music. And I was like, I like what you do. So why don't you come in and sit in with us? And, um, and dude, that was the weirdest right of all time. So I come in, I come in with like my, uh, my grandma's champ, um, uh, Fender amp and like my pedal board. Right. And I'm setting up and, you know, I don't want to blow anybody out. So I just brought the champ, you know, I'm not, I'm not bringing the Marshall over, you know, and I'm like, I'm like setting up and stuff and, uh, just sitting there waiting for everybody to get there and everybody kind of rolls in. And no one brings anything except a laptop. And I was like looking around and uh, the right was so bizarre to me and foreign that we weren't going to play instruments together. And that, yeah, 
it was like the dude, what happens is dude sat in the laptop, plugged in some speakers and he had a beat made. Right. And wow. it, it was a beat. And he was, he was the track. They called him the track guy. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, I was like looking around. I'm like, wow, I am not in the right area. But I mean, I don't you know. Got, we, yeah, you got teleported to Los Angeles for a second. Dude, it was, it was weird. It and is. I was like, yeah. yeah, I was like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good without that. And uh, what's funny is I took that country artist. I was like, hey, 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 all right, I did your thing. Why don't you come do my thing? And I took him to uh, basically the producer that uh, produces our records. And then I had, um, yeah, it was just us three, the artist, me, and uh, our producer who paul the producer he can play anything he play drums or whatever and i was like this is how you write a song and like <laughs> you know and it was way better than what the crap that they were doing but anyway it doesn't matter none of it got cut it was a huge waste of time sure and, yeah. uh, <laughs> but i'm but i'm a uh I'm, a, I'm a, maybe i'm a little smarter for it or a little jaded more jaded for it right <laughs> yeah i think there's another wrinkle there too um <clears throat> with the with the teens and junior high kids and um because <clears throat> if you're a teen you're in junior high now you you know you were you, you were born in like 2004 or something you know 2005 so, yeah. yeah 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 something like that yeah and yeah um even like three years ago when we were starting to actually get out there nationally in 2019 and teens were showing up young teens even younger junior high kids with their dad and you could tell they the discovery they're have, having is that an energetic great show can happen with live instruments that's now becoming novel in a sense yes. i think um <clears throat> our producer uh he lives in australia and he took his daughter who is probably i think like 18 maybe but he took her a couple of years ago to uh, Byron Bay Blues Fest, and he was watching um, Trombone Shorty. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Yeah. And he puts on a great live show. It's like it's kind of rocking. It's really funky. There's horns. It's a big thing. He's a super great showman. It's not a rock and roll show, but, you know, it's a big loud. And I remember he said his daughter was just like, I didn't know this could happen. Like, because the show's... Or that it still happens, you know? She was just like, I didn't know that that she, because she was like, that was amazing. Like, that was like, that blew her away. And she was like, and that was instruments. That was like not a DJ. That was not, you know, an MC with a DJ or something where that's become the sound now, you know? Yeah. Even the pop bands, they have a band up there, but the band is 50% just, you know, cosmetic. I mean, it might be the most ripping LA session guys, but they're playing along to tracks. So, um, the live concert world has shifted over into you're kind of hearing the actual record. <laughs> so then you come see us and goodbye June or just this wave of bands where we're still playing songs and it's accessible, but it's energetic. I think that's what's novel. Cause I feel like, yeah, there was the jam band scene. If you wanted to be into the, instrumentalism of it but mm -hmm. you're not going to go and get songs there you know yeah no i um i agree with that i think a lot of it has to also do with music is not taught in grade school anymore 
So when you had a once a week music appreciation class, you would hear, you know, orchestral music, classical music. And yeah, it's not rock and roll, but you learn that there are instruments that are played. Yeah. And, you know, it it takes work to become good at it. And I I think in the digital age, everything is programmed every and, and people don't or kids don't understand that instruments at one time were actually played. And I, I remember when I took my son, he was five. I took him to a Butch Walker concert and uh, it was after a soccer game. We'd made the, we made, we did a road trip down to Kentucky. We played at the Southgate house. I think it is in Newport and uh, Butch Walker. He's one of my favorite singer songwriters. And he was, my son was just mesmerized at the age of five, like this band and this whole energy with the crowd and he's been addicted to rock ever since. Like it's yeah. been, it's been just a, a natural progression for him. And then we come back, you know, to the house after the show the next day. And he's like, dad, I want a guitar. So I think live music, seeing a live concert is very important to connecting with young people. Because once you see that energy and you feel that energy and it gets in your blood, you want it again. You're like, you want to yeah. keep experiencing that. And it, it's it's so true. I remember when he got in the car, when he was, you know, before he we went to that Butch Walker concert, he was singing Poker Face by Lady Gaga. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, what are you what are you singing? And he's like Poker Face by, by Gaga. And I turned around I'm like, all right, I have to become the good parent here. I have to lead him down the right path. But yeah, that was that was a good memory. It was a great show. Yeah. Well, the pop pop music, the guys much of which is written in the same fashion that you, you experienced um, a a track guy and, you know, but they, they, they they are onto something that is universally, you know, true, which is, you know, a hook and earworms, you know? So like poker face, of course it's going to stick in your head. If we heard it right now, we'd all go away and in an hour text each other and be like, still fucking saying poker face. You know, <laughs> it works, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, um, I think that's, um, you know, just bring up credit again. Uh, when we were at the show in LA, our, our manager bumped into their dad and they got talking and like, you know, he was very, their dad was very keen on, playing them, you know, jazz records from the time they were five, you know. So be that dad is my point. It works yeah. out good, you know. Yeah. It's, it's a good, I think it's a good thing. To, to, if, you, if you know, you might as well pass it on, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I connected with music. My, my grandfather was a lounge piano player back in the days of the speakeasies in Chicago. Oh, and cool. I, would, I would spend one or two weekends there with my grandparents every month. And I would be on a Saturday, his piano playing would, would wake me up. So that was the first introduction. I was like four or five years old. And then fast forward, my older brother brings in the album journey escape when I was like seven. And the first song is don't stop believing. And I hear the piano and I'm like, Oh, I know that instrument. And then the connection was made. And then that was it. That's awesome. Yeah. We were talking before you got on, John, Tyler and I were talking about the Beatles documentary um, and how, you know, like my son, who I was just talking about, is just mesmerized by it. Like, this is incredible to him. And, it, you know, you think about that's 50 years ago, over 50 years ago that that was recorded. And, you know, we talk about pop music now 
And of course, you know, the Beatles were considered rock, but a lot of influence has gone into the, you know, the pop music genre, but that's when they played real instruments. I mean, that's when, you know, they, they were singing songs about that and all those elements now with pop music, it seemed to be lost that creativity, that experimentation. It doesn't exist anymore. I think the only experimenting they do in pop music is what type of program they can filter in the beats and the music to make it sound, you know, better or, or, or tighter or whatever. But it, 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 it's a lesson that you look at that documentary and you see where music is now outside of rock. And it's disappointing that their, that their legacy is what it is, but I don't think they ever intended it for to, to become this. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Go ahead, Tyler. Well, I was going to say that they, uh, I mean, they, uh, I mean, John and Paul, oh, all of all of them really had incredible songs that, I mean, they, I, you know, they're kind of the godfathers of the pop hook, though, yeah. right? Like, yeah, they really, they really are. I mean, it's like, you know, pop music is, they, they have a direct DNA line to pop music, but um, it was, the documentary was really fascinating to me because you got to see them basically write their last studio record. And they wrote it in, you know, that was back in the days, John, of uh, they'd uh, rent a studio for a month yeah, and just go, go in there with like, you know, a couple ideas. Um, yeah, they'd, write, yeah. they'd write everything, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the budget uh, recording budgets don't really allow for that nowadays. To, uh, <laughs> uh, like, you kind of yeah. need to have your crap your crap together going into the studio. Usually, uh, at least that's it's for us. That's what it's been. But it was fascinating to me to see Paul and John how they interacted as songwriters and lyricists and stuff, and like how many times it took them um, to play "Get Back." before they nailed it and then what's even cooler is like you got glenn johns in there who did like rolling stuff uh, incredible rolling stones records and i think glenn did the early beatles or sorry eagles records and he did, did he, Zepp? he did zeppelin yeah 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 he did the i think first zeppelin record maybe? i think so yeah I think so yeah he's he's og og that guy he's yeah and he's got like a, so what it was is a studio with a, a, a eight track tape machine and i think Maybe they daisy chain, so then maybe they had sixteen tracks, but I definitely know they had eight, at least eight tracks. And then, but they didn't. Uh, you've seen all these room mics around, right? So they had some mics on the drums, but really it was more about the room mics in this uh, live room that they had. And I, I was fascinated by that because they just they had all the amps together. They had the drum kit there. They had they had an organ in there, and they were all just playing through. And they had PA set up. So the, the instruments were going through the PAs, which was getting recorded by the room mics. Fascinating to me. And that, like that they, they, they achieved the sounds that they achieved, which is just this kind of wonderful organic kind of tones um, on that record. Because I went back now, like I seen the documentary, I went back and listened to the record. And I was like, God, dude, this is sonically really, really great considering the environment that they were in, which was just a ton of room mics, basically. How yeah. important is the room when you guys are recording or selecting the studio? Very. I, yeah, very. It's, it's not important for vocals almost at all, really, in a modern sense. If you're going to make a modern recording, you know, even a modern, right. even the way any of us have probably made a recording, 
Um, but for drum, it's like it goes down the line. Drums, it's the most important. Um, you know, guitars. I like room mics bleed, bleed, bled into the guitars, so I'll do the you know the second the second L the or I guess our only LP. Um, I didn't do it that way, but we were also on like a budget and a time crunch, so. Mostly. And you you guys were remote, too, a lot, right? You guys were doing a lot of stuff with your producer via Zoom and that kind of thing, right? Yeah, but we still were. We did it all in Henson. He just was on Zoom, so. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, so we and he had his guy here on the ground, like uh, this great engineer. Okay. The, the guy basically took his place once he kind of moved on under Brendan. Yeah. But, yeah, it's pretty important. I mean, but but the drum, it kind of it's a hierarchy. Drums, it's most important. I mean, again, depending on the type of record you want to make, but yeah. Um, so so Jay, like a very popular thing, and even with rock bands and and a lot of bands, I and I'm not dogging this at all, but there's like a, there's a technology thing that you can kind of attach to drums called sampling, and you can you can put samples of incredible snare drum. And oh yeah. It can yeah. it can basic it can basically fire and activate like every time the drummer hits, you know, in the recording when the drummer hits the snare, it can activate it, you know, a trigger or whatever and it create a sample, which creates this incredible perfect drum sound that you can blend together, you can blend it with the live and stuff, which is a very popular recording technique for I would say a lot of bands on uh, active rock radio right now. Yep, and for sure. um, yeah. <laughs> And so that's why when you listen to those re- recordings, you, you get these big, perfect, incredible, perfect sounding drums. And I don't want to speak for you guys, John, but I know with us, we, don't, we really don't do that. We rely more on the natural tones of the drums. So when you when you rely on the natural tones of the drums, you have to be in a great room. You know, there's a reason yeah. why there's an, there's a very, very important reason why when the levee breaks, John Bonham sounds the way he does in that recording. It's because they picked, you know, um, you know, he they were, I think they were recording in a cottage and then like they had room mics placed up a stairwell, which created this reverberation. And then they also had mics on this kit and different things. So it's like when you're not using technology to help amplify and perfect the like the sonics of a of a record, the room is incredibly important. So I know Goodbye June, we don't really partake of the samples. Not that there's anything wrong with samples or anything, yeah. but uh, uh, I know someone, our second record, we did. We, 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 we had to, and I can't remember why. There was a couple tracks where I think uh, the producer wanted to uh, sample a snare, I believe, or something, and, and we, we allowed it. Which, But from, I mean, I think from this point on, we're not really, in, we're not a, interested in that at all because it's so exciting when you get when you really work in a in a great room and you have a great drummer and you you get these drum tones the drum tones set the palette for the whole rest of the song it affects like i know i'm i'm sure you know john's probably listening to these drum tracks in his head when he's cutting a dirty honey record he's saying oh man that kind of takes me to like heart or that takes me something it might it might affect his gear choice it might affect the guitar that he uses or or with me that's how i was like i was like oh man i kind of want this biting tone now because the drums are sounding a certain way so um drums are super important uh and the room is super important sorry that's what i meant to say 
Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I think it was the Sound City documentary where Springsteen was recording, forget what album it was, and it took him days to find the perfect tone for the snare that he was hearing in his ear. And he just hit the snare over and over again, moved it here, moved it over here, did this, did that, and he finally got it after. And I mean, you couldn't do that now because of budgets, you know, and, and maybe you, maybe Springsteen can still do that now because, you know, he's got uh, more than more money than the eye can see. But it's just interesting how that, like you said, Tyler, the, the, the drums is so important to, to the room you're recording in. When you are focused on the coming year, I mean, we talked, you know, Tyler, with your new album coming out and John with the, the tour starting with Mammoth in January. And then you look back on where you've been this past year. You know, what what did you learn over the past year and what excites you for the new year? Take it, John. Um, well, what I learned over this past year uh, was how to tour um on a on a bigger scale more expensive production level um not that we were spending all the money but you know yeah um you know i think we did six weeks straight with the black rose and it was a you know a seven truck four or five bus circus um you know moved like clockwork every night uh, that was an incredible learning experience, I think. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, we learned yet again how to win over an audience that <clears throat> really didn't know who we were when we when we stepped on the stage. Um, so that you know, you you kind of think you're over that at some point, and then you realize there's just another level to crack. So you know, we learned how to do it at that level this past summer. Um, I mean, but, you know, for this coming year, I'm excited for, you know, obviously the Mammoth Tour. I think it's going to be great. You know, we've bumped our whole um, organization up a little bit. Um, It's going to be our first tour bus. So that's exciting. Yeah. Yay! You know. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Yay! You know what Don Jameson told me about tour buses, though? What? Don't shit in the tour bus. Well, yeah, there's a, it's a, that's an interesting thing. I think that's mostly a money thing. Ironically. Really? Okay. Uh, yeah. I just think it's just the more you shit in it, the sooner you got to refill it. So it costs. Yeah. Cause I was like, I asked the, I asked the guy in the black crows thing. I was like, can, so you can't shit on the bus. Is that what's the deal? <laughs> and he was like, the bus driver was like, that's kind of the old days. Honestly, you can. And he's like, and you kind of always could. It's just, it was like right. a, Right. It, it was like a thing. It was like a, uh, yeah, because you'd have to, it fills up quicker, you know. Uh, but sure, uh, everyone, sure, everyone listening is loving this conversation right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so number two is, uh, th- there's more of that. No, um, but um, yeah, we're looking forward to that tour. I think it's going to be great. I think it's going to be a bunch of good rooms. It's, it's selling well. And then, uh, you know, we're, we haven't announced anything officially, but you know, we're working on uh, our first Europe trip for the summer. So, you know, as that rolls in, that'll be really exciting too, I think. Yeah. I was at that Chicago show um, in Tinley park when you guys came through with the black crows. Oh yeah. And I, and I agree stuff. with you. Like I knew, you know, I knew you guys, I knew the music, but as the, the, as the show kept going, 
I did see more people getting into it, more people standing up. Um, and that was a great feeling to see you guys win over the crowd like that. We really did get it down. We learned almost to the T, like how many songs in we'd have people standing by. Mm. It got, it, you know, it's, 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 it is a science to it. Um, and you, 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 it's a feel thing. You, you feel it out. You learn, you talk to each other. And, um, well, mostly you just go up and try to make everyone who didn't see it wish they were there. That's what I think. <laughs> yeah. And, and then my son went to the Milwaukee show the next night. I was not allowed to go. Because as he said, he was bringing his special lady friend. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's like, why, I'm like, oh, why no. can't I go? I want to go. Dad, I'm bringing my special lady friend. I'm like, first, why are you using that term? Yeah, well, yeah what is that? <laughs> like, like, stop watching Big Lebowski, for crying out loud. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it was, it, they were both great shows. And then he did the video of all the footage from Chicago and offered to both of you guys. Next time you need food recommendations or restaurant recommendations in Chicago, contact Jay. Jay knows okay. where to Jay knows where to tell you where to go. I'm gonna tell you what. We had some of the best Italian, the best Italian I've ever had in my life. I've never been to Italy, so do you remember so, what restaurant? We went to two. We went to Monteverde. Okay. We went to a place called La Scarole. La oh, Scarole. Yeah. Which was unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Really good like, stuff. And good we went to, and we were in New York. We tried to go. We I I couldn't beat it in New York. But I mean, New York's so big. I'm sure there's a hole in the wall somewhere I missed. But sure. you know, sure. What about you, Tyler? Shoot, man, I just um, happy to still be in the game. Happy to to get to record that record. That was important for us because we were uh, we had canceled a big uh, tour uh, supporting a big band. Like I think it was over 40 dates, and uh, then we were supposed to do our own headlining clubs, and that all went away with COVID. And uh, pretty low, low point for in 2020 was, and then 2021, man, it's been really spotty for us. But it's been there's so much been so much excitement around the record. It's kind of like, hey, let's let's get this record out and do it right. And that's why we're cutting so many music videos and doing so many interviews with it. And, uh, so we're just gearing up for uh, spring of 2022, which uh, rumors is we. We got some really cool stuff cooking. We'll probably be direct support for a cool band that y'all have heard of. And uh, and then uh, hopefully a big Europe. But kind of hopefully we're over there at the same time John is. Me and John go have an Italian date or something. You guys can cuddle together. together. Yeah, we can snuggle, cuddle, and rock and roll. Oh, man, I want, I want to not sleep. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, well, no doubt. <laughs> you know, for, for for those listening, Europe is not for cuddling. <laughs> yeah, hey, man. no sir, no sir, <laughs> no sir, uh, dude. Um, oh, John, I'm gonna go ahead. I'm gonna I'm gonna um, trap you here. So we're releasing a, a music video this uh, in a, like two days uh, for oh cool one of the, one of the tracks. Yeah. And it's just a it's just a mon it's a montage video that Brandon edited. He had years of footage, and um, there's a shot of you in it. I think we were partying I think I or saw doing it. something. Yeah. Oh, did I send it to you? I think when I was there, you showed it to me. I think it was in the dressing room in Houston. Yeah. Yep. So I'm I'm just gonna take that positivity as a release of your name and likeness. So. Oh no no! You, uh, uh, yeah, will, so, my people will be reaching out. Yeah, they will be. They'll be getting their, over. Yeah, yeah, they'll be getting their percentage of uh, YouTube royalties. 
Yeah, right? Yeah, I want point oh 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 six yeah. of your point oh oh four. Yeah, I'll have to get a I'll have to get a, a grinder and we'll get a penny out and I'll uh, <laughs> I'll grind a penny and a, a third and you can have it. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, uh, no, <laughs> sorry, Jerry, a little, little off. Whoa. Uh, uh, no, man. We're, we're talking uh, about grinding and snuggling. It's just, it's just yeah. not working out. <laughs> yeah. This interview is going downhill. It's gone really, it's gone really bad. We no, man. So that, that's like the, uh, that's pretty much all of it is we're just really looking forward to this record. It gave us an opportunity to get back together and um, refocus and re and, uh, and make some, dope music so we're uh, excited about that so 2022 is going to be a good year for us and for people listening i've had the pleasure of of listening to the new goodbye june album and uh it's a holy shit album it's really really fucking good and i rate albums basically either you know the lowest is i haven't connected with it yet because i refuse to say i don't like something because two years from now i may be into it so i haven't connected with it yet then it's like that's eh, it's pretty good it's really good. And then the top is like, holy shit. It's really fucking good. And I remember when I, I first I've heard it as well, actually. So I, I, I know, I've, I've sent it to both of you guys. I have yeah. a very short list of, of people yeah. I send uh, the unreleased record to, and, and you were both on it. So there you go. Yeah, no, I relish revel, revel in that. This is me relishing that together. I'm relishing. relishing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All of it. All and, of it. Uh, All the- <laughs> it. It definitely passed the car test too, which was also important for the Dirty Honey album. I remember my son and I got in the car, drove around for a half hour, and it's like, all right, let's listen for the uh, let's listen to the new Dirty Honey album, and that's the key test: is can yeah, you listen it to it in a car and just jam out? Absolutely, I agree. As far as touring, as far as you know, where you guys are are, are going. Um, how do you keep challenging yourselves as musicians? For me, it's uh, writing. That's the biggest challenge. You know, I think as a guitarist, you can um, easily get down a rabbit hole of challenging yourself t- uh, technically. You know, there's always some kid on Instagram who is faster than you and whatever. But um, I don't think that's a very satisfying pursuit. Uh, it's maybe good to sprinkle that in here and there, but I think writing it will always, always until the day we die post continually pose a challenge. Cause as soon as you wrote the song, it's done. And how, what are you worth now? What are you good for now? Is what I ask myself. And so that, you know, and as, and as each day passes from the time that that song came out of you, it's, it's in the past. So you have to, you have to write another one. You know, and it's, you know, that's, it's the most rewarding uh, in every, in every way of the, every sense of that word. So for me, it's just, where's that next awesome riff, you know? Yeah, I, uh, I would piggyback on that. I mean, that's what I, I, uh, I should focus more probably on getting technically better. Uh, John, I mean, John were playing guitar, he came over. And uh, I forgot what you said on that. Forget <laughs> you were, you were. I was like, I was like, holy crap, man! I was like, my fingers just don't move like that. 
And uh, he's like, well, I'm just, I'm just playing as fast as I can. I was like, I am too, John. I'm playing as fast as I can. <laughs> right, right. My, my, my fingers just don't move that fast. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, there's always that, always trying to get better. I love uh, stealing and, and um, implementing other my friends' cool techniques into what I do and then try to – but yet try to go down a, a true path of musicianship where it's like, well – what if you don't spend all this time learning scales and, and trying to get your fingers fast? What if you, what if you spend more time trying to create something special or unique that like is like the mirror to your soul? Like how, how can you like, how can I work on my vibrato or how can I like write a riff? Like John was saying that speaks because like, as the Beatles proved, like what we were talking about, it's like, you don't have to be shredders to change the world. Like it's about that songwriting. Like the songwriting is the, is the beginning and end of this whole pursuit. So yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, dude, I mean, it's all about songwriting. It's all about, like John said, the next riff. It's like, cool. You, you did a cool riff there. It's like, what else you got that's new yeah. and fresh and better, you know? So, I've only watched about a half of one episode of the Beatles thing. I'm still getting into it. And uh, one of the thoughts I had was, they aren't like shredding players or whatever. And then, you know, they're, they're kind of the only guys who could really play like that were jazz guys in that era. You know what I mean? And that's kind of why they were making fun of George Harrison when he kept going on about Eric Clapton and they're like, yeah, jazz, bro. He's like, no, nah, man, yeah. he just keep, he can play, but he keeps it going, you know? And just, they're like, yeah, yeah, it's jazz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. It's <laughs> <laughs> because that was the only those were the only cats on earth who could do that. Um, but the other thought that came to my head right away when I was watching how they would play a song, once they got a handle of it was like, there are great players in the sense that they can play a song from start to finish and play it right. And, and not need a lot of prep time, you know? Um, yeah. I saw that same kind of, one time I got to sit in and watch a session with um, the guitarist Wadi Wattel. I don't know if you guys know who he is. Yeah. He, he played in the expensive winos with Keith Richards mm-hmm. and he was, he's like Linda Ronstadt. And I think he's still um, Stevie Nicks, MD LA guy. And again, nothing flashy. He's not going to light up YouTube or whatever, but, he could sit down with a rough idea of what he's going to do and play the song through fluidly and never trip up, you know? And that's a skill that's kind of unmeasurable, but is maybe the most important. Because sometimes a lot, I've, I've been in the studio with shredders and, and like, you know, there's, they want to splice a thousand takes together or they got to start over, you know, or they didn't get it right. And they're playing a million notes. So, but then you watch this guy just calmly play through a song. And I think that's what the Beatles had. I think that's, they were, those, they were that kind of great, you know? Isn't it, isn't it also the art of simplicity where, yes. you know, you can have these yeah. monstrous arrangements that sound absolutely incredible. But, you know, when I think, when I think of simplicity, I always think the Beatles and I think ACDC, how everything, it's hard to write a simple riff. 
It's hard to write, you know, those simple songs that sound really easy, but are actually difficult to play because there's some, there's some simplicity in it. It's just, it's not overplaying. It's playing to the song that, 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 uh, what, what a song needs. And I always appreciate about those two bands because I think when people hear it, they're like, oh, this stuff's so easy to play. Well, if it's so easy, do it, you know, like, like, like play it. You know, I mean, it's like, like, it's not easy to, to come up with those simple riffs that everyone can hear. And you talk about, John, you talk about the tone and the riff. People need to relate to lyrics and they need to relate to the riff too, as well. If the riff is just all over the place and crazy, no matter what they're singing about, they're going to turn it off. So it's got to all mesh together. And those two bands, I think, really do it well in highlighting simple things in music and, and, and putting it all together. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. That's been, um, to me, I think that's, it's extremely, extremely, incredibly difficult to do something, um, simple. And it's kind of funny you bring up the simplicity thing. That's where my mind's been at. It was, that's how it was on this record. And that's where my mind had been going for a while, but it's like, how can I, how can I do something fresh that's true to myself or whatever and, and true to my band's music? But if you put it through the lens of like, hey, man, you only get three or four chords. You got to write an incredible melody. You got here's your simple riff that, um, you know, maybe it sounds like a John Fogarty riff or something. And it's like you put these pieces together and how, how can you create a great song that's simple, that speaks and that's fresh. And it's like if you can put that stuff together, it's just so hard to do. You, there's so many pitfalls that you can your mind can go into while trying to create that and uh, that's what i think me as a as a songwriter that's more the road i've been going down is to you know study tom petty you know study acdc study uh creams clearwater zz top's a great example too even though zz top had some really pretty rad stuff in there but um like those kind of bands it's just that's why they, that's why they're they're classic rock is because they made these incredible simple songs that were so catchy that you know, you know, you could strong, you can do uh, cowboy chords, you know, on an acoustic, and a young kid could play, you know, a Tom Petty song. You know, that's what I learned most was Tom Petty songs. Um, so I think that says something. I think there's a incredible talent to that. Um, that that's kind of what I've been focused on the last year or so just trying to get more into that my headspace wrapped around that is that the challenge that you're seeking is is that is what you're doing now going down that road well you know i love a good riff i mean i got guys like john Notto, you know on my coattails all the time just like writing these riffs that are just blowing your mind so i gotta like try to do my do my <laughs> on my coattails <laughs> yeah i was gonna say <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm just, I'm just saying, like, it, yeah, you know, there, there's a balance, but like, that's always like where the fundamental the starting point, you know. So, um, John, I think you do a great job. The riffs you write to me are so fun and uh, really, really cool and unique, and the syncopations within them are really the kind of stars of it. It's not like obviously you're technically very talented, but the, some of the syncopations and the beats that you and Corey are hitting on and that you that you syncopate together when you're writing, it's just so foreign to me and it's so pleasing to my ears. So there you go. So well, thank you. Just trying 
Just trying to keep up with just trying to keep up with John. You know what I'm saying? I feel like I write heavy grooves more than I write riffs sometimes. Like from the from the standpoint of where it's coming from, you know. Yeah, and I think that's why that stuff comes out that way. Well, having a 16 year old under the roof that I live in, hearing him try to learn both your band songs, you know, he's sitting there playing it over and Amazing. over again. I love that. It's. Awesome. Uh, it's it's you know and when he screws up you know he swears he yells he doesn't think i can hear him but uh but no he he loves playing your guys stuff all the time he you know he sits in his room and just plays oh, cool home. man yeah i love that that's awesome that's awesome i remember when he was learning the california dreaming um, yeah 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 he was learning that it took him a few days to learn that so he was all into it so but uh and and then uh i think he's going to definitely want to learn the new goodbye june cuz man that's got some riffs that's got some incredible Thanks, riffs on that when is that coming out uh february 18th okay that's yeah. not too far away not too far away yeah, a couple months couple you know hey i might even be in nashville on that day really well uh we're playing uh dude you were playing i i think we're going to do a Nash, uh, album release party on the 20th you guys should come let's see let's see here you guys should come man come do a come do rolling sevens man we'll do a hillbilly style we'll just come in, dude. What, what, what day of the week is that on uh i think it's a sunday is it an all-age show it's, yeah it's it's called nashville sunday night so it's a live broadcast through okay. uh the radio station it's like a like a five six hundred cap room um but I think that's probably what we'll end up doing. And we'll, you know, it goes out on the radio and it goes out on a live stream. And there's a, I think there's a video component to it as well. So uh, it should be really fun. I've always wanted to do one. And I think, uh, I think it's going to be awesome. The only dude, so John, how do you feel about this? Like, okay. So obviously we got a lot of time to rehearse and that's fine. But how do you feel about doing an album, a recorded album release party on like the first day? that you release the record. Like, I feel like there's a lot of pressure on performing yeah. the, re- it's like, I wish that was at the end of the tour. You know what I'm saying? Like the end of yeah, a big that seems, tour. That seems like more of the time to do it. <laughs> like, that's like, yeah. Right. That's what's so, but, uh, <laughs> like, like, do it, do it when you're loose. Right. We're going to be, yeah. we'll be there, uh, the eighth. So not, we won't be there. Okay. We'll be in Nashville the eighth. Well, maybe I'll stop in in a rehearsal or something. Have a, yeah, have a drink. Like, yeah, man, you should lobby for that though. So, I, but that's what you're gonna do. You're actually gonna do the the, the live recording. That I think so, man. I think we're just gonna go for it, and uh, so it might be a little might be a little rough around the edges in some spots. But I think you know, the, I don't know if, yeah, I don't. Yeah, it's gonna be live, dude. Dude, <laughs> dude uh, I don't know if uh, how you feel about this, John. But do you feel that the fear? That's how I describe it, anyway. So imagine when you you know the feeling it's when you're walking on stage and it's like the first time you played a song before i mean you've rehearsed it a hundred times it's the first time you played it live do you still get this little like uh weird gut adrenaline um i just call it the fear it's like deep in your stomach do you get that like first time uh, playing a song or or um, maybe something in in a new set setup that's like it makes you nervous i guess it probably yeah it does yeah yeah totally do you, uh, do you find do you find that that uh that's a good thing or a bad thing so i think it's a good thing for me i, I can't know. i i don't know if it's a good thing um <laughs> yeah. i i don't know i really don't because 
it might make me like rush a little or like uh yeah, yeah. maybe it also keep you honest though you know like yeah. like i don't know Dink a couple notes. i ain't trying to be honest <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, but like like yeah, like if you get that adrenaline rush, you get that fear like it's almost like you kind of at least for me when i've ever experienced something like that is you kind of zone in you kind of hone into what you need to do you know yeah. and you know you're not as loosey-goosey as maybe you are after 10 performances of it or 20 performances of yeah. it you know i don't well you're not really loosey-goosey you're more tight after 20 yeah well, yeah sure sure but but maybe maybe tight playing but more not as fearful maybe and when i say loosey-goosey like you're not as tight as a as, as just you you're tight playing with the band but you're more relaxed maybe yeah, that's probably the best word to do it relaxed after that those first few times we had that fear in you. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's always, there's always an energy to the first round. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't, if you don't fuck up, that might be the, that might be the one, you know, that first concert might be better than the 20th in terms of energy. Cause you, you've got that going on inside you, you know, and that's coming through. You might play things a click faster to whatever you might, you might right. add, you just might play more searing. You might pet, you might be pressing the notes harder because you're nervous, you know, all that stuff. Um, and then that goes to the audience and the audience sends it back. And then it, it, it might be more lit or it just might be more, it was lit to be in it. But when you, the thing is the microphones are like microscopes <laughs> really. <laughs> And uh, they don't lie. And so it might have been exciting to do it and be there, but it it, it may not be <clears throat> what you want to release. You have to hear it. You just have to hear it. But, you know. How do you keep that energy every night when you're, when you're touring? Uh, well, I just, I love playing music so much. Um, and... I do a little improvising and um, that, that kind of keeps it going and you have to do it in such small bits in, in a, in a rock and roll band. It has to be little, almost little attitude things that you add. You can't really like, you can't, you can't do jazz, man, no jazz, you know? <laughs> so uh, not that I know how to do jazz, but um, yeah, you can't go too far off the page, but, you can add a little bit of excitement. I think those little moments, they give me a lot of life. Um, and, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's the audience. Sometimes some shows, it's just like, wow, this town is ready. And I already know as I walk on stage. And that alone is just like, let's go. <laughs> you know, um, mm. for us, Michigan's a big one. Like Detroit. Grand Rapids, uh, everywhere, everywhere we've played there, it is just more. It's just insane. Yeah, Detroit's always been known for just, a, a high energy crowd. You know, so the, the, those types of things um, get you going. You know, what about you, Tyler? Uh, hard drugs. So like, Tylen- like like Tylenol, <laughs> ibuprofen. I- ibuprofen, dudes. Yeah. Take five yeah. of those. Yeah. Nothing you break will hurt for uh, three hours. <laughs> three Red Bulls and seven uh, ibuprofen. That's my that's my key. <laughs> now, oh. 
<laughs> now, uh, now, man, it's like uh, there's like yeah, man, you just get up there and do it. You always have adrenaline, and it's always like if you walk. I mean, it could be something as simple as like walking out, and the crowd feels a little more into it than uh, you expected. Like that might be enough to like light the fuse and you're off. And it's like you, it's almost like to me sometimes, like I know we played the Ryman uh, like a month ago and it's like I blinked and I was walking off the stage. I was like, where did that moment go? Where did that go? It's like, I freaking just zoned in, blacked out, did the stuff. And like, um, so I don't know. How do you keep that going? The excitement going? It's it's really a lot of it's the fans, man. Like um, it's funny you said Michigan, Michigan and Germany. Those two, there's something about those two uh, sets of fans that like both both of them, they're kind of the same. It's like the energy. It's like immediately this rowdy crowd that is like wanting that they're giving you the permission to to just rock out and like let them forget about their crappy week they've had at work you know and um so yeah it's dude it's all about the crowd i think i mean you know i hit a couple cool notes or something unexpected that might give me a little juice but um it's you know it's all about the energy that the fans give you how about touring itself i mean you're you're on top of each other all the time you know you're in the you're in the bus you're in a van going from city to city you know what are some of the favorite things you guys like to do when you're when you have your 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 own time when you have you know what you where you can just wander off by yourself go do what you need to do you know what what uh what do you usually choose in, in terms of being in a town and being by yourself um i do uh i usually uh go for a run which is like, if, if I got the energy, I'll go, I'll go for a run. And usually what a run turns into is just kind of like a, a walkabout around the city or town I'm in. Um, I'll try to run a couple of miles. I ain't no marathon runner or anything, but, um, and it, it helps my, it helps um, kind of the stress and it helps keep my body in shape or whatever. But like, it's more about kind of discovering the lay, the lay of the land of where I'm at. And I like, I like doing that. I like finding the restaurant I want to go to later and eat or whatever. So I do that and I watch a lot of adult swim cartoons <laughs> and <laughs> weird, weirdly I play a lot of guitar. That's like usually when I'm on the road, I'll play, I'll probably play guitar maybe four hours a day. Um, just naturally just because you're kind of wasting time but i always view the road as like that's my time to write riffs or or you know kind of work on the next record or work on the next thing and like just because there's no pressure you know you're out working you're performing the material you've already written so there's not like this big looming you know you need to write a song for the next record so i always find i write cool riffs out on the road so spend a lot of time doing that running and riffing and texting texting john Cuddling yeah, with John. A lot of texting. Text, yeah, texting friends. <laughs> About uh, you, John. You do you do a thousand push-ups a day or what? Yeah, you know, on the slow days. Um, He's going to sports clips. Yeah. <laughs> I like to find. I mean, if I go out in the city, I like to find a record shop. I like to. I like to. I like to vinyl hunt. Um. 
Yeah, I mean, I, we haven't had a lot of, you know, one thing we have done when we've had like a day off in the city is we found if there's some hiking spot, national park, something, something, um, we usually find one of those and go to it. Um, if we have to rent a car or just take the, well, we, we, we haven't had a tour bus until now. So, um, we had like a sprinter van, so we would just take it and just go, you know, go see the sites. Uh, that's usually the most rewarding. Just get out of the entire city bus life hotel and just get out in the woods. It's really cool. How about when you take what's that? <laughs> so you, you want to take mushrooms too. Hey man. <laughs> mushrooms over like a steak. That's really good too. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it, it, as far as you know, you got music coming out, you know, your album's about to drop. You recorded this stuff for you guys, for both of you. What's that roller coaster like of writing, recording, you know, producing it, getting ready to send it out to the world, hoping everyone likes it? What's and then touring? What's like most important for you personally that you need from that experience? I need, I need to like feel like. I like I like headlining the best um, because I feel like the audience is there for me, and then in turn we can turn it out. You know, we, as they say, you know, you can blow the roof off um, and really and really get to what it's all about sooner. It is very nice to open for a bigger act and get that prestige going and all that, but it's really, it's really hindered by a lot of factors. You know, you don't have full sound, you don't have full lights, you're squished on 30% of the stage, you're short set and you got to win people over. And that is satisfying, but it, it's like, it's like not even the same game. So I, I want to, my biggest goal is to go out every night and flip people's nights on, you know, flip it on its head. Yeah. Um, and prove that I can write more notes than Tyler. Yeah. It's well documented, sir. (laughs) (laughs) I think you got more notes on your first record than I have on my my three. So I think we, I think that's a, you're like, uh, John, you're not challenging yourself. (laughs) Yeah. That's a, that's a countable number. Um, (laughs) I'm kidding. Dude, that's a, it's true. I'd be, I'd be angry if it was a lie. (laughs) (laughs) um no man i love i love recording like there's something about the process of recording that is incredibly gratifying to me it's um i mean to me recording's the pleasure the travel oh i don't know was it the question what was i just talk about I just talk. I just. I, what's I just talked too. I kind of didn't know what the question was. <laughs> While you guys are talking, I'm I'm screaming in my head. Shut up! Shut up! It's my turn to talk. That's <laughs> what I was doing, and then I realized <laughs> it was fine. So I just started talking about what I like about touring. But I, now yeah. you're talking about recording. I yeah. don't know. Fuck it. Go ahead. No, yeah, he, he, I I think what Jay was asking was what's like what keeps you going. What's the most rewarding thing about this whole this the whole process? You know. Yeah. Um, oh. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. A whole new answer. No, so, so, 
John John likes getting his John likes getting his hair cut, having the you know, yeah, you know what I mean, ha- having the my bougie stuff. <laughs> yeah, have have the old men, the older men are looking at his fingers, and the younger women are looking at his groin. You know, that's just that's just how John rolls. This is how I roll, dude. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, dude, I don't I want those that. groups of people looking. I don't want to flip yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't flip it. Yes, well, John, what do you want. find most satisfying? People looking at your fingernails or girls looking at your groin? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I'm not at liberty to say at this current juncture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, 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 no, man. I, I mean, I think it breaks down for me is, uh, um, the studio is the fun, the travel is the work and the, the playing live is the payoff, which, so like, I love, I love playing live, but for some reason it's super gratifying and it's awesome, but it's, it, there's something more gratifying to me about in the studio when you, when you, when you're listening to the first mixes of a song, it's um, I don't know, just incredibly. Is it the creating? Awesome. Is is it creating? Yeah, which, which is what I think it. Right I think it is. Yeah, I think it's like walking in, you know, in the morning with nothing, and walking out with, you know, a brand new awesome song that you're super excited about. And you can't wait to show your friends, you know. So, um, that that for some reason that's connected with me, and like, mm-hmm. you know, everybody kind of has different different things and different things that they, they love. But uh, yeah, man, now it's, it's the recording for me is, and that's, I don't know why it's, and it's kind of maybe not a common answer or maybe it is. I don't know, but uh, I love playing live too. Don't get me wrong. It's, that's incredible payoff, but I like recording more. So I don't know what that means. You just, you're from, you know, you're from Nashville, man. You just all studio rats yeah. down there, man. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just want to get a laptop and create some beats. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> I mean, I just want to drop some dope beats. <laughs> well, recording is where you get to. That's that's where you get to like lay it down forever. You know, mm-hmm. that's yeah. that's your statement. So, um, John, do you like to rehearse a lot uh, pre-recording, or do you feel like you know there's like rehearsing just enough, just enough to 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 keep it like dangerous, or do you like to rehearse it in the ground? I like that. I like just enough. So it's a little, it's a little dangerous. And I think it comes through, it comes through in the recording as well. I think, um, I think California dreaming came out really big sounding and so- something I can't explain. It had that intangible extraness and that's cause that was the last song written literally like a week before the studio. Um, it was kind of a fluke where I was <clears throat> testing some of that, um, some of the technology to send and receive um, the live audio to our producer since he was going to be uh, remote. So yeah, we're yeah. testing it and he's like, Hey man, just grab something off your desktop, throw it into pro tools. We just need something for playback. And I just happened to have on that particular computer, a copy of this riff and it was pretty underdeveloped and which riff? The bum, 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 bum. Yeah. That one? Yeah, yeah. And actually, Corey and Justin were on it. We had sort of just done that. I had, like, mailed it around to them, and they just played on it, and we didn't really – I think we just had that and the verses. Right. That's all we had. And, um, you know, the producer was just like, what the hell is that? And I was like, 
Right. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's something, but we, we haven't been working on it. And he was like, work on it. Like you got a week. Yeah. And so I think it being that fresh, um, we all kind of feel it has a little bit of an extra something. And whereas like, for example, the wire was the first song done, which may have been over a year old. We, we performed right. it. We performed it a lot. Um, yeah, you, did you perform it on the tour we did together? I thought I, we did it. Maybe you did. We might have. No, I think it started. The riff started coming around the summer right after that. And then the fall tours, when we started headlining, we started sprinkling it in. And then our Rolling Sevens tour in 2020, we were fully playing it. I mean, and that one was down to like the solo was note for note how I was playing it. Unless that night I'd had yeah. more tequila. And then I just did. Yeah. <laughs> You know that yeah. you know that thought, Tyler? You, th- you, you yeah. go, yeah, but what would fucking Jimmy Page do? And then the other yeah. guy goes, he'd do whatever he wants. And then the third guy goes, we're already doing it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Solo's over. <laughs> Solo's over. I don't know what you play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, uh, no. yeah, on the nights that I didn't do that, you know, I already knew what I was supposed to do. So when it came time for the studio for that, it was, you know, it was done. And yeah. I think it has a different energy. I don't want to, I'm not trying to say when you go listen to the album, the, those are the wire, but it's just, yeah. Uh, I don't know what it is. Well, it's no. intangible a little bit, but so well, I like it there at a dangerous level. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's kind of what, where we, we operate on unless like one of us really has a developed song. They've been playing for a long time that we bring to the other guys. And you already but, have. Yeah, I, right. And yeah, exactly. It's like, you, already you've there. Already, yeah. We just so, uh, did it. We just did a recording the other day, and it and it's a um, it's a cover for for a thing that's coming up. And um, yeah. I I only just I had played the solo. It's one of those solos you want to kind of you want to get a lot of it. You know, there's some right. wiggle room, but not really. And yeah. uh, but I was like, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna overdo this like a cover band artist, like a like a wedding band or whatever. You know. I'm going to do, yeah. I'm going to listen to it a lot. There's a couple licks that are absolutely crucial. The other ones, you know, when you hear some and you're like, all right, I know what, I already know what that is. So I, I've got that. Yeah. Um, and then there was like one I had to really get, but I, I purposely went in right at that zone where I was like, I basically got this. And then I'm going to just nail it. Right. Cause I want that first time I nail it, nail it to be recorded because right. I've, I've talked with other with other artists about this and some producers and just seen interviews and it's like the first your first takes your most creative no matter yeah. what that's your most yeah. creative take so yeah. if you've already just gone stripped it com- completely clean of any improv of any you know exactly what you're going to do yeah it's a little that little edge that's that you know what? it's back to what we're saying it gives you that little thing in the middle of you and yeah and it gives you that thing. Now it is dangerous because you might just fuck it up. But yeah, but it right. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you fuck it up. You still have the first nailing it. That one's still yeah. coming down the pipe. You know, right? I like to get that. I like to get that on wax rather than oh, dude, I, I I've been nailing this for a, a year. You know, it's like all right, yeah, you know, right. So, like take take out the. You want less mechanical muscle memory, and you want more. 
I don't know. Feel more. Yeah, feel, but it's like, it's there's something when you're doing it for the first time, it's like, it's like you're relying on all of your, um, uh, like all of your faculties, deeply ingrained tendencies that you just have that are like you. Yeah. That's what your your body and your mind revert to. So it's like you're playing, and you know you you, you know you want to go here, and maybe you know you want to go here. You got, got this lick, you kind of thinking in your head is going. But it's funny you say the first time because most of my I bet eighty percent of my solos are like the first take, first try, um, like, and then it's like I'm not just saying like I'm some dude. It's like eighty percent are like that, and then twenty percent are just grinding terrible <laughs> mind like like i'm just sucking but like you know what i'm saying it's like it's like the 20 percent make up in time for the 80 percent that i nailed like the 20 20 percent might take all day but, yeah uh, right yeah yeah so i uh, think but in it yeah. no you're on to something and and when you're in there when you're in that stage and you're relying on these like your talent you who you are and and if you you get to that thing that's going to be difficult and you nail it, there's this boost that happens because you nailed it and it's exciting, right. but you're still playing. So then that's now injected into the rest of what you play. And I think you can't you can't like you can't have that on call all the time. So you, I think yeah. you create that by you leave room for that by not over preparing. And of course, this is something that this is this is something that. For you youngins out there listening, um, <laughs> reserved more entirely for like the solo that's going to have some improv. And that's what makes it blues rock. That's what makes it roots rock is it has that element. You're actually speaking on the music. You got to speak on it a little bit like the music's happening and you're playing in it. You know, um, if you if you fully write it out and take that out of it. Then it's kind of pageantry, in my opinion. You know, it might sound like the blues, it might look like the blues, but it's 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 sheet music, you know. So, how, how much does what's happening in your life affect the sound that you 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 play, the tone that you have, and can it affect how you hear the song? it may sound different just based on what's happening in your life that day, that week, that moment. Yeah. I don't know. Um, that's I, what drugs and alcohol come in. Yeah. <laughs> Ibuprofen yeah. and Red Bulls. <laughs> Ibuprofen <laughs> and Red Bulls. Painkillers. Um, I, I, I don't have an, I don't have an answer but, to that, but I, I have a phenomenon that I've experienced that I don't know what, I don't know what it is. It might just be my, my, uh, wildly deep craziness inside of my head, but like I I have listened. It was early when we just got the record out, or sorry, when we just got the record, the mixes back, and we were listening to it, and digesting it, and trying to make these you know final, very very minute creative touches. And I can remember one night laying down, listening to it before I went to bed. I listened to it top to bottom. And I was so wildly depressed that I was making the biggest mistake of my life. And, and then what's funny, I fall asleep, I wake up the next day and I'm like, and I just put it on the stereo and I turn it up and I'm like, hot dog, this is a great record. Like, I love this. You know, this is, this is the best work I've ever done. So I do not know when you said like, like how, 
your mood affects, you know, how you're playing or, or whatever. I, I do know that my mood and my place in life perceives when I'm creating something. If, um, if I think it's good or, it, or like it enters in my ear hole and I process it as, yo, this is cool and, and awesome. And I'm proud of this. And I want to put this out, show my, my, my friends and fans. So I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just crazy. Have you ever done that, John? Like, listen to something and just been like, yo, this this sucks. And then the next day you listen to it, like, oh, man, this is like the best riff I've ever written. Yeah. Have you ever, have you ever had that, like, like that complete 180 yeah. in a, a short of, amount of time? Yeah. Well, a lot of times what I try to do to to get the best, to give it the best chance I can, is I don't listen to it right after I wrote it. I try to listen. I try to leave enough time so I might have forgot I wrote it, or it just sounds like a recording of a guitarist. That, but you know, it might be like voice memo. Um, usually, yeah. that's where it starts, and so that kind of tricks me. And then, then if it still sucks, and I don't, and I'm in that like, oh, I did this, and I'm like, what is it? You know, and I'm like, oh, it's just terrible. Okay, then I know. I I feel like yeah. I know. You know, I might run it by somebody, but usually when it's terrible, it's like noodly. And it really, what it, what it turns out is it wasn't actually like a real idea. I thought in my head and, but I was just, I was just noodling. Um, but the good ones later, it's like, oh, that's, that's good. You know, when you're, when it gets to the point where it's like you're listening to somebody else's band. That's the way, that's the thing. I try not to, sometimes with our schedule, you know, the, you got to listen to the mix right away. And that, that is tough. And that's when it's always the toughest to make a decision because you're so attached to it. That's actually yeah. clouding your objectivity. If there's such a thing, you know, like yeah. it's just, it's so hard to do that. So if I can, I try to wait. Have um, you, have you ever found yourself like so close to a recording that you can't hear it really? Like you can't truly hear what it is i for instance yeah I was, you're, you're in i was in the, I was, in, I was in the studio and uh i was cutting step aside for the first time it's one of the earlier takes and um i sit down i had a I had an sg and a blues breaker freaking combo made in heaven and uh <laughs> i play i played in its entirety the 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 recording that you that you hear right and i'm walking in and uh I'm just like, God, I, I was like, God, that sucked. And uh, the producer leans back and looks at me. Paul's like, dude, can you not hear what you, what you just did? Like, can you not <laughs> really not hear it? And yeah. I was like, I don't, I, he's like, I don't think you can. Or he's, like, he's like, I don't think you can hear what you're actually doing. I think you hear what you think you're doing. And he, he was like, dude, that's the take. You're done. I was like, that's the take. Are you serious? He's like, yes, you're not touching that take. That's the take we're using for the master recording that you're going to listen to the rest of your life. So I was like, okay. I was like, you know, but I, I'm pretty chill with like our producer giving him that latitude to tell me, you know, because I, because I'm, I don't know what it is with me, but like, if it's like, right. It's like, uh, it's like standing next to the empire state building. It's like, you stand a foot away from it. You can't, you can't really look up and see it. You know, you have to be further back, to see, you know, big building. Yeah. I don't know. No, John, you mentioned something earlier in the conversation about touring with the Black Crows and what you learned about how, you know, playing on a bigger stage, you know, for, for both you guys, for both bands, you know, you guys are constantly taking that next step. And that includes bigger audiences, bigger tours, bigger stages. 
how do you adjust to playing clubs to going out on a stage with the black crows and, and adjusting to the size and scope of that stage? Well, I think you just, I just, it's different for me, for example, than it is for our singer. Um, you know, cause he has a more direct, he's looking right. at, he's, he's making the connection. He's making the connection to the audience. Yeah. So for him, I think it's tougher to go from the club to the, it's a tougher, he has the toughest transition. Um, you know, the drummer being probably having the easiest, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and with no disrespect to what he's, his responsibilities is just, he's back there. He's back there. He's back there. Um, for me, what I do when we hit a bigger stage is I just look at, okay, it's not, it's not going to have that intimacy. It's not going to have that sweatiness. I'm not close to the people. Um, it's not going to light up as quick, but what I do have is I've got more latitude on the stage so I can take advantage of what I look like more um, in the sense of accenting the music. Uh, I can go bananas basically in, in short, you know, physically. Uh, whereas on a tiny stage, I can't really do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can just kind of move from my pedal board, maybe move to the front. If one of the guys happens to move out of the way, you know? So, um, but the black Crow stage, I got all this area to move around. And so the more that I do it, the more I learn where, um, the more I, I just learn where I can go. And, you know, every guy's different approach too. I think some guys like realize like, Oh, when this part of the song comes, I'll go over here and it kind of becomes their thing. Mm-hmm. I tend to like to keep it a little animal style and just, you never know what you're going to get kind of thing. Yeah. Um, for us. Yeah. I mean, he kind of nailed it. It's like, the drums. I just drums noticed vocal- your name, you asshole. <laughs> <laughs> John, you know um You, you just know, noticed I that? You. I got you, bro. Oh, you <laughs> got me, dude. That was <laughs> when, when he when he logged on, I'm like, hey John, what's going up? He's like, hey John, it's Tyler. <laughs> That's John and huge John. I'm <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, well, continue, continue. It, it wasn't gonna be that revelatory. Uh <laughs> no. I see you get more animated. I've seen clips of you in Germany opening for CC Top. You get more animated. Yeah, big dog. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. You, I'm gonna you go hunt, it... hunt a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I, I, dude. I, uh, yeah, no. I, it's um. I just well, once I get like my show legs on, I get a cup. I get like a week or two in on it. Um, I have a lot. I have a lot of fun. I try to do. A, I've always wanted to to go crowd surfing but i'm kind of like a stocky dude so i'm scared that if i jump out and go crowd surfing i'm just gonna like crush you know three or four 17 year old girls and then yeah that's not that's not a good look for me um i did it once was it fun was it everything you've dreamed of it was pretty cool and they and they sent me back to the stage in time to sing backups on the on the chorus it was pretty. I played. I played the solo. I did, like most guitars would not. That's when I went. I went for the solo. No, that's when you go, bro. That's yeah. like, that's when you gotta go. And that's I realized that. I was like, I have a wire. This is maybe wasn't the best move, but it was Grand Rapids. Insane. So how, how was uh? <laughs> uh so this is a very dumb technical question. So do you wrap your wire through your guitar strap? Yes. And yes. so thus, no nobody can like come and yank it out, right? No. 
I don't think anybody would do that. Why would somebody do that? I mean, we live in yeah, yeah, the one show. He's, he's hated the whole show. He's just waiting for the <laughs> moment. He's been, he's been stalking you. He's like his, his girlfriend's years. been giving you the the, the yeah. eye of love and oh, that's what yeah. it is, right? Yeah, he's, yeah. he's been he's yeah. been looking at your girl, or she's been looking at your. Girl. She literally held up a phone. She wrote like, "I'll go home with you." Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> um, no, I, I've yet to do that. I've never experienced the uh, the crowd surf guitar solo. I will do it. Before I die, I think I you'll, do it. You that. you'll do it. I see um, it. You're gonna do it. I mean, dude, with it, with with it, with a firebird, you have to. Yeah, that's, I can't. Yeah. I mean, Jesus, I, I saw Frank <laughs> Turner do it. I saw Frank Turner do it, and it was insane. Like he was singing as he was like floating through the crowd. It was absolutely, it was crazy. Yeah, it was. I love that. I, I, I've seen. I forgot what band it was, but it was. Uh, I just remember the dude. Oh, it was a Flaming Lips. I went to a Flaming Lips concert and he had one of those like huge recreational uh, blow up balls that you can like get inside and stand in. And he was just like running around the crowd like a like a crazy gerbil, man. And it was awesome. (laughs) I was like, this is the best idea ever. It was like he was just in that ball, just just freaking sprinting across a massive crowd. It was pretty inspiring. Like, Like he was inside the ball. Yeah, he was inside the ball. The big, the big. You know, you've seen him like on movies and stuff, yeah, big plastic, yeah. whatever. And he just took off running, and it was awesome. Was wow! Like, and I, and I seen seen some dude in a raft. Some guy got into like a raft. A raft. Yeah, he was in a raft, and they were. Did he have like, like a paddle? Like he was. Uh, I don't know if he was faking a paddle or not, but he was in a raft. I thought we was, we humans have evolved incredibly. Yeah. <laughs> right. Now it's it's um. I, I always love when you see the the mosh pits. I was just at a, a Black Label Society concert like a month and a half ago, and that got out of control. And then I was at a Social Distortion concert a few years ago. I was there with my buddy, and a guy around my age was like, you know, there's a mosh pit going on in front of us. The mosh pit's a young man's game. I, I ain't going in that. And uh, he turns to me, and my buddy's like, I'm going in. I'm like, all right, man, <laughs> good luck. He comes back like three minutes later, nose exploded, blood just dripping nice. down his face. And that's why I don't do the, do the mosh pit. So, so are there is and John chime in here? If you know, it. I, for some reason, I think, you know, it, um, is there mosh pit etiquette? Um, are there rules? Are there rules of the mosh pit? That's a good question. I don't know. I don't know. John, we're late. We're leaning on you. Whether you know it or not, you have to say something. What'd you say? <laughs> Perfect answer. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I said, I said, what's the uh, etiquette of a mosh pit? Is there mosh pit etiquette that you know of? Yes, there is, but it's also, it's like asterisk. If you get punched in the face, don't be a bitch. Yeah. But I think there is, there's, there's a mosh pit etiquette and it's like, just kind of, Move your body as the music dictates, but don't just straight up like you know punch somebody. But so you, but but the but is like there's no punishment for a guy who did that unless he did it to a chick, right? And then every other guy's like, all right, let's kill him. But like, yeah, you see stuff, you see nuts stuff, dude. Guys come up and they make yeah, it yeah. look, they make it look like they're just messing around, and then they elbow a guy. You know, it's just and if you're at right. like a Cannibal Corp show, like what what did you, yeah. What do you expect? <laughs> when, when cannibal, cannibal, corpse, 
Cannibal Corpse. Holy cow. I, I was at a Cannibal Corpse opened up for Black Label Society, and that's what was going on. Oh, there you, there you know, there was go. A, yeah. There was like this yeah, big Andre the Giant Shrek guy, and they're just cleaning up. He was. Yeah, dude. I mean, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's kind of like legalized anarchy. So, like, yes. is there something that could be illegal? Not really. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, technically it's illegal, but you know, nobody's. Yeah, consenting parties in a physical. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, I don't think I don't think any of those guys are signing any waivers. You know, yeah, yeah it's no way. It's like yeah, it's it's very much gangster rules. Yes, you know? I've, it's like on the spot decision making. I've only been in a. I wouldn't call it a mosh pit. I'd call it a, a Chevy pit. I've been in a Chevy. A Chevy where people pit. are probably Chevy people pit. just. Got, Shovey, they're shoving me. Okay, they, they, shovey they just, said, okay. Like, everybody's real shovey. It's kind of like, yeah, know, it's like they're not really. It's like, yeah, but no, but but you got hands laid. You know, somebody's laying hands on me, so it's it's, but it's not full almost, committal. No, like, not full committal. It's like, uh, you know, are we doing this? It's my, it might be something you see at like a Red Hot Chili Peppers or uh, right, yeah. Uh, <laughs> not I'm, I'm getting aggressive, but I do like Gwen Stefani. Yeah, right, right. Like drinking in O'Doul's <laughs> instead of drinking a beer. You know, it might be drunk, but just it takes more than. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, really? as we as we end the conversation here, um, what uh, I mean, you got the tours, you know, coming up. You got the album being released. Uh, great stuff happening for both you guys. You know, is, is this where you guys are at now? Are you guys comfortable being where you're at? Is it is it is it like where you where you should be? Do you feel that in terms of like what's happening in your careers with the band? I'm elated. This is, you know, what I've wanted to do since I was, you know, a whippersnapper. So uh, I'm not, I don't think, I I don't think there should be a there or, uh, you know, you've arrived or a uh, you're content, but that's more of a mode of practice. You know, you got to keep yourself out of that. But I am, I am, I am um, very happy with, with um, where things are headed, you know, and uh, I feel like the progress is the, the reason, uh, it is the motivation to do better, to do more, to make the next record better, you know, I, I, I think I wouldn't even say anything close to the word satisfaction until we put out a, th- a third really good record, you know? Um, and I uh, think just specifically, I think dirty honey's made kind of one statement with our two, with our EP and our LP. I think we've kind of, you know, so I think we're looking forward to seeing what the slight alteration will be, you know, AKA computer and six writers. No. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dropping the beats. Yeah, dropping the beat. We, if we can get a track guy that we like, you know. yeah, gotta get a track guy, bro. I'm gonna call you about that. Actually, I heard you know some guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, no, man. I think I think I'm I'm lucky to be where I'm at. Anytime I can. Um, uh, I mean, we've had a we've had kind of a wild, crazy road um, with our business partners and stuff. We've had some mountains and some valleys and. Um, it's for whatever reason, it's always felt like, Hey, this could be our last record. So freaking, you better put your balls on the line. And it's a great uh, place to be in a way. 
it it really is and it's probably yeah. been a blessing um i know on this last record you know with the covid stuff um all that world uh, it felt the same way you know our second record we had just got uh dropped from a major label and uh you know a great indie label picked us up and then then you know yeah. this this next record was like covid land you know so to us we've always had like the edge of the knife looming at it you know looming in our face almost so i think there's a, a do or die mentality and uh, and and i think it's a good thing it, is it more stressful yes is it whatever would i love to uh, you know be in a maybe a more lucrative uh play my, my music generating more more money i mean i think we probably all would but that's not really what it's ever been about so i don't focus too much on that but i just focus on that i get another chance to put out a great record and uh, put my heart out there and um that's where i love being at so i'm uh, that's where we're at right now so we got a new record coming so it's gonna you be know, I, we're gonna, we're gonna i feel see. like i feel like when we met you guys in my mind even though i knew you guys well, I mean, I didn't, you know, when we met you and we found out your story, it turned out you guys have had already, you've been a couple of years into the game and had already experienced the major label experience and done all this stuff. But I feel like we kind of started together in a way because you were sort of like, yeah, re, you know what I mean? Like you guys were like, let's do it our way. Let's do it this way. Let's rethink it. Let you, yeah. It was a fresh start for you guys almost at the time yeah. that we met you, you know, and you, you just signed with that label and, yeah. and then yeah. like, you know, you, you, you kind of like re-looked at your songwriting and it just kind of seems yeah. like it, this is the movement for you, you know, right. you guys signed yeah. on to the classic, you know, thing that a lot of bands do, you know, and it's really cool. You're getting the second wave. That's actually sick. There's a lot of bands like, yeah, yeah we got dropped. And then, yeah you know whatever well, but you guys you got you guys got something for real that's the that's the difference you weren't just well, yeah. you weren't in on that major label just you know posturing wearing cool clothes and like hopefully writing a hit like you guys are real players there's a real show there so it's like it's really cool that uh you kept going i tell everyone we're painfully ourselves well, you know, it, that's what being yourself. <laughs> yeah, painfully yourself. Well, there's a couple of follow-up questions to that too. You know, for you guys, you know, obviously, Dirty Honey is is still an independent, right? I mean, that's 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 a that's a correct statement, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, Goodbye June's been on a label now is 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 on in an independent label, Earache. But as as far as that goes. Years ago, people used to chase that record deal, right? It was all about the record deal. It was all about getting signed. Yeah. Um, yeah. Obviously, you can survive in the world today in rock music without that, without that happening. You know, you can create your own destiny. You can create your own music and have you know do it yourself. Is as you guys keep moving forward, is there a still a, is there still a taste for that happening with a major label, or are you guys? happy doing it and having the control that you have um we're happy right now uh i'm always open to somebody who believes in us and has the capability in their back pocket to move move the dial further than we have um i don't i think that's about as 
far as the eagerness extends, you know, so we're not just like, Oh, we just want to get a label or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, because we have a really strong, small team. So it, it, it really would be letting another captain on the ship. And that's kind of, that's, we don't take that decision lightly. Um, You know, and we've, we've reached a nice point where we are sustaining what, what we need to do. So, you know, right now that's, that's good. I mean, obviously the the goal is growth, you know, Um, Mm. and fortunately, you know, the fortunate thing about rock and roll not being at the top of the pops for us is that it means it's a live thing. And why that's fortunate for us is we love playing live. And I think we're, we're great live. And I think that's the reason we even did this. We were playing, whoops, we were playing live every weekend. So, um, you know, in the bars. So that's, that's actually the bonus. It's like what we're good at is really our best shot at it. Um, so I like that. I like our odds in that scenario. Yeah. I, uh, I think, well, you guys are a great live band. You dude, my business acumen is very, you know, I don't know, but I'm just saying you guys are doing great independent. I've been thoroughly impressed and proud of you guys, what you've accomplished as an independent band. So thanks man. I, uh, so that's just take that with the, you know, put that into your uh, decision-making process that Tyler, you know, <laughs> says stay independent. Listen, Tyler is very impressed. <laughs> He's very impressed. He's like, okay, sorry. He's sorry, right in the middle of the meeting. I'd like to know, <clears throat> hey. lest we not forget. Yeah, Tyler was impressed. Yeah. Um, no, man, I, I mean, I think for us, it's, it's funny. It's always been my journey is... I don't know. I feel like I should write a memoir one day. Cause it's like, I, I've always felt like things were backwards. It's like, I started on this incredible label that is like literally one of the most profitable labels in the world. Um, selling the most records, but it's all rap, it's all rap, you know, it's Eminem's label. And uh, so, <laughs> you know, we go out and I think we sold, I, I don't even want to say, I'm just taking a guess. Don't quote me on this, but we sold like maybe, I don't know, 8,000 records or uh, something to that extent in like a short amount of time after the record was released. Um, and to us, that was incredible. That was like, oh my God, yeah, let's go. Like, you tell me there's 8,000 people that love us. Let's go, let's go play for them. And, you know, the major label saw that as a, oh, as yeah. a failure, as it's a major failure. Major failure. And so, yeah, and that's why we were, you know, and as as in when you get signed to a major label, the people who champion you and that believe in you, if they leave that label, you're pretty much dead in the water. So all you young pups out there always get a key man clause. It's called a key man clause. Anyways, um, yeah, so, I mean, our guys left. They went to Warner Records, and uh, so we were just kind of flopping out in the wind. And then um, so the label had to – they cut us on the very last day that they could. So just – brutal they'll do that brutal stuff too yeah it's, yeah it's so yeah. brutal the very last day they have very intentional actually yeah. yeah yeah so uh i don't want to air my dirty laundry or anything but it's just uh and what's funny is that um you know the whole goal is to build and create a bigger audience and and uh, you know spread the gospel rock and roll and what's funny is like is 
we might go, we might go, you know, we went down in, into a dip and we found this incredible uh, indie label that, you know, maybe 8,000 records. Is, that's, that's, that's not too bad. That's something to build on. Let's go. Let's make another record. Let's push this record. That's exciting to them. And it's exciting to us. And um, like, you know, so that's a whole different vibe we've never experienced before. So, but it's, it's like, do you keep building to, to the point to where it's like that, that old record, the major label comes back and says, Hey, you remember us? We can put, we can give you $5 million for your next record. And it's like, uh, you know, like that's what you're saying. Like somebody that can move the needle, you know? So it's like, yeah. are you just, are we just fighting to get back up in there? Or, I mean, I've always valued the, there's a band called whiskey Myers that we toured a lot with that you guys kind of taken a similar path that they have and they own everything. They own all their records. They own their own record label. They own everything. Every dime they make at the show is theirs. And I've always been so awe inspired by that. And so like, I just, I've always been enamored with that, that they could achieve that from nothing. Like they were, you know, from nothing. And um, I think there's a lot of different ways to go. There's a lot of different business models out there you can attach yourself to, but um, I think for us, our journey has just been fun. It's always been ex exciting. It's I've never been bored or in my life one time. And uh, I think that's just because this is such a crazy, grueling game. So I don't know if that even answered your question. Jay. No, I did. I'm sorry. did. It was fun though. It was a fun journey, right? Yeah. 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 There was a lot of twist and turns. It was like a Hallmark movie. You know, you know most yeah, most jazz, most free jazz musicians don't go back and listen to what they just played, but they had a great time getting there. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, they call me meander. I'm I'm a meander. <laughs> well, I as far meander. as that goes, you know, free jazz soprano sax. Yeah. You guys are early on in your career, and 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 being a new rock band, you know, it has its challenges, as we all know. Were there moments where it was like? what the fuck, man? Like we can't gain any traction. We're not moving the needle. Um, you know, you're, you're kind of maybe clueless is the wrong word, but maybe you're just unaware of how to move forward. Um, was, was that ever experienced by either one of you? I mean, that was all of our experience yeah. for the first, you know, five or six years of me being in LA before, before we met our manager. The manager was the one who, was like, all right, I'll show you how to move the needle forward. But mm -hmm. he really didn't take interest in, until he heard the song. So we had that, we had that, we had that sort of shepherd come in, mm -hmm. but we also had the confidence that he was only there because of us, of who we were and what we did, meaning like the song. He was like, this is, this is a number one. So keep going and I'll, you know, I'll make this happen. Uh, or, you know, can't funny you say it's funny. You say the song, right? That's exactly how we were too. We were flopping around and uh, just playing, playing everywhere we could. And, and always the same thing. We're like, we need a book. We need an agent. We need a manager. We need all this stuff. And, um, but what's funny is everything started changing when we wrote um, Daisy. I wrote the song Daisy on our first record and uh, it got passed around town and people started paying attention to us and people started calling us. And um, so it's funny when you said the song, that's what, that's what it was. That's, that's what took you from 
from kind of meandering and, and insecure and like, Hey, is this going to work? Or, you know, what yeah. do I need to do? What do I need to do to really do this? And what's funny is it, it, it all of your answers are inside yourself. It's all the song. You just have to create an awesome song. And yeah. Uh, yeah, that's what I always I always tell any band. It's like, how do you make it? It's like, dude, everything to make it is inside of you. Like, you don't you don't have to go anywhere else. It's like once you get the song, people will people will find it because there is a ton of people in this industry that want to make money off of talented young artists. And it's like once you start putting out songs that are great, there will be no shortage of people wanting to to work with you. Like, so if you, it's kind of like, if the phone ain't ringing, then you better keep writing. Cause it's like, you know, it's all about song. I don't know. How, how important is it to maintain your vision for what you want to accomplish, but also listen to people that are around you. Cause I, cause I do talk to a lot of bands and, and, and I, and I interview a lot of new emerging bands and I can always tell when 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 i hear something that they don't have someone in the room to tell them eh, you need to do this oh you need to do this to make it better you know they've got everyone in the room telling them how great they are and no one telling them how to make themselves great you know what i mean is that is, is yeah. i mean do you feel that John? do i feel that uh no do i mean do you feel like that is important you know for a young band to to you know obviously you want to maintain what you want to do and what you want to accomplish but you know, you also have to have people in the room that aren't afraid to tell you maybe things that you don't want to hear. Oh yeah, definitely. And, um, it's a, it's a, it's a tricky, it's a magic balance. You have to have enough respect for that person to, to take it. Um, if you don't have the respect for them, then you won't take it. Um, and that also is a magic balance with you. I've met people who don't know when they should be respecting somebody. And then that's going to be the pitfall because they don't take advice. They don't know like, Hey, you should be listening to this person. Your ego is telling you to tell them to go fuck off, but you should be listening to them. You know, you got you as the artist got to know who you should be respecting and who you shouldn't. So to speak, you know, when it comes to criticism of what you're trying to do. Um, and I guess that recipe simple. You have to look at the person and go, they've, they've done what I am doing. Like, so, for example, our manager, he was, he's been in rock and roll music his whole life. Big time rock and roll music. Not not like big time rock and roll music. So, and he loves our band and he loves us. So, you have these two things. You're like, I respect what you've done and you love our music. And we believe that you want to see us succeed. So, you have our ears kind of thing. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, really, it's really important because then what happens is, you know, it builds your confidence. Confidence breeds momentum and momentum breeds confidence. And then once you have that, you know, go back and forth, everything's great until a coronavirus. <laughs> 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 everything's like, yeah, what could stop us now? Nothing at all. Oh, yeah. That was kind of, uh, I, I took that dark. I'm sorry. Just that's a, sorry. Was that the story? Was that the story of Goodbye June? I didn't know. Was it, was, <laughs> yeah. Was well, that- everybody yeah um i know uh i think well i think there's something in kind of what you're saying john is like as an artist it's like there's like you gotta gotta operate between these two lines like you don't want to be so ego 
that everyone else is stupid and that no one can listen to your art and truly understand it. And that if people would just invest money in me, the right. world's going to love me. Yeah. The world's going to love me. Yeah. And then there's, there's this other artist that's just like, it's a weak, very weak, uh, very insecure artist. That's like, uh, you know, they don't, they don't have a strong enough voice inside them telling them what to do so that they, they, they yearn for outward uh, input, right? They but, yearn for somebody to tell them what to do because they don't quite know. So, so it's what like I'm saying it's a desperation is a stinky cologne. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, dude. You got a lot of bottles and, of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had I had a couple of bottles of that one time. Um, no, it's like you kind of you got to operate in some sort of sweet spot to where you know who you are, and and like, dude, the hard like the hard reality is like. It's like you can't lie to yourself and say that something is good or incredible or going to change the world when it's just not like it might. Your mom might tell you it's good, but you know, yeah, maybe you got yeah, 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 to dig yeah. a little deeper because what's funny is like I, in my early, early career, when I was first writing songs, I always knew that these songs, I mean, they were good, but they weren't good as the enemy of great. So if you're writing good songs, like no one's going to care. And that's the worst right. pitfall to be in. And it's like, I was writing songs I thought was good, but I always knew in my heart, I was like, man, this just, this doesn't make me feel the same way that like Creedence Clearwater felt or like ACDC felt when I listened to them. I was like, it's not making, I'm not saying I have to sound like that, but there's this feeling that you get from, you know, a great song. And it's like, you know it as an artist and it's just you can spend your whole life lying to yourself or you can buckle down and do the work and just try to get better and repetition and more songs. And that's, uh, that's, that's the only, I guess, wisdom I've learned is that it's everything, everything you need is inside yourself, like to write great music. So just do it. Well, guys, this has been awesome, man. I really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, it was way more than I anticipated and expected. And appreciate the candor, appreciate the honesty, appreciate the laughs. Call me on my cell phone. That's right. I, I'm, yeah, Call John on his cell phone. The, the, <laughs> the fact that you guys were so open about cuddling and snuggling yeah. is um, it's going to make your fan base grow overnight. Yeah, it's it's yeah. showing the faith we have in you to edit that out. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, you want me John, to edit this? John, let's just uh, <laughs> go ahead and put this on record. This can be the like the click the click title of the like, podcast. It'll be John Notto loves the tickle of Tyler Baker's beard. <laughs> that can be the that can be the that can be the click. I do not approve. I think it's all right. I think it's a great moment. And I think you guys I think we're gonna keep it. Yeah, we'll probably yeah. keep it. <laughs> You should. All right. Well, hey guys, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Um, we'll do this yeah, again. And good luck with the with the album, Tyler, and good luck with the tour, John. Um, Thank you. I, I'll be seeing you opening night in Chicago, so looking forward to that. Um, ex- cool. Excited about that. And and uh, 2022, we'll just we'll just keep rolling. Come Take on, it as she comes, huh? All right, everybody. I'm Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Take care of each other. We'll talk soon.